that's there. Uh, as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus actually said this. He said, it's going to be like that again at the coming of the Son of Man. And Son of Man is one of the titles that he uses to refer to himself. We know that Jesus, fully God, fully man, difficult to understand, but absolutely true. So it's going to be, so Jesus came a first time, right? He came the first time, he appeared, he reached out to us, he brings salvation. And we're told in the scriptures that he's going to come again. Aren't you thankful for that? He's going to come again and every nation's going to worship him. So he's going to, what's it going to be like? Well, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. So let's look through it. The seven refreshers that I'm getting ready to share with you right now, we've spent three weeks talking about these seven points um, in great detail. So if you're in here or you're watching from there and you're going, please slow down, it's all in the archives and I'm just trying to sum up some things to get us back into the flow of where we're headed for today. So here we go. Number one. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God announced that he was putting enmity or hostility, uh, adversity between Satan and the woman. But he also announced that it was going to be between Satan's offspring and her offspring. Now, if, if you read what the, theologians write, everybody agrees that Genesis 3.15 is the first prophetic word that a woman would give birth to a son that ultimately would bring our deliverance. In other words, the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come. Somehow God was going to do that through the human race. Everybody agrees with that. What's interesting is we tend to forget about the other part of the verse where it says that I'm going to put hostility between your seed, the seed of woman, or, 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 and, and the seed of Satan. Okay, It's kind of a wild concept. We tend to skip over it. Which leads to the obvious question, have you ever met somebody that you kind of wondered if they were the seed of Satan? How many, how many public school teachers do we have in the house? Do you ever have one of those children that come through and you're like, dear Lord, I would love to see what that home looks like, right? Because that child should not be Aaron, that child should be Beelzebub, because they're just kind of... But one of these days, it says literally Satan has an offspring. It's kind of a wild thought. Don't even like to talk about it. Gen uh, second point. When we understand God's announcement, it gives us insight into uh, to Satan's initial strategy to try to prevent the promise of God's redemption. Now, I, I love it because it's almost like Satan is playing checkers, but God's on a chessboard that he can't even comprehend, okay? Satan, a lot like, if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. We become reactionary. When Satan heard what God spoke, he knew his offspring would be crushed by the offspring of woman. He reacted to that, developed a strategy, then you know what? I'm going to mess with the human race. In particular, I'm going to mess with women. I'm going to cause a problem there. That was his reaction. I want you to know God never gets upset or, or frustrated by Satan's reactions. God is seated on a throne. He's high and exalted. He's the I am who I am, always everywhere, always knowing everything. He's not worried. He's not frustrated. He's not rubbing his fingers together. He's not pacing around in heaven going, what am I going to do now? God has it under control. We can trust him. It's going to be okay. Number three, Satan desired to corrupt the seed of woman, the gene pool, to prevent the birth of a pure corruption-free redeemer. These are statements of review. We've been talking about it, but I'll give you a little bit more here. Number four, in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, it says this. 
we learn that fallen angels forcibly took women and defiled them. And the result was Nephilim spreading on the earth, and they were Gabor, which is a Hebrew word for mighty, strong, a hybrid. They were different. Let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about Nephilim. We'll define it. Number five. Nephilim is derived from the word nephal. It means the fallen ones, those that were cast down, or deserters. So what's interesting, if you've ever been reading in Genesis 6, you're reading your Bible, and you read that says, there were Nephilim on the earth, and you go, what is this English word Nephilim that I don't remember learning in elementary school, okay? The word Nephilim is not an English word. It is a Hebrew word. And because the translators didn't quite know how to handle it, they just put the Hebrew word right into the text. Now, it's interesting, in the King James, rather than using the word Nephilim, they use the word giants, which isn't necessarily an accurate translation either when you consider that Nephilim in the Hebrew means fallen one, one that's been cast down, one that is deserted. How many know that there were angels that rejected their position of authority? They had a position of authority, they rejected it, and they were on this earth. They were in this atmosphere, okay? And... Scripture teaches in Genesis 6 that these deserters, these fallen angels, took advantage of women, and somehow these Nephilim came from there. Now, there's another word. We'll look at, uh, let's put the sixth point up, if you don't mind, Amber. The Greek word for Nephilim is gigantes. It, it's derived from the word gigas, where we get genes, gene, genetic, genealogy, Okay. Those words come from gigantes. I'm going to stop here for a second and give you a little more background. Most of you were here last week, but just in case you weren't, um, how many of you have, besides those of you that were here last week, how many of you have never heard of the word Septuagint before? Never heard of Septuagint? Okay. Let me just, Septuagint, I'll, I'll give you a little brief uh, history lesson. Around 300 B.C., there were 70 Jewish rabbis that obviously spoke Hebrew that got together because they were seeing the influence of the Greek culture and the influence of the Greek language. And they got together and they took the Old Testament Hebrew and they spent, are you ready, 15 years translating the Hebrew into Greek. So even though I've said for years, and it's true, that the Old Testament came from the Hebrew, there is a book called the Septuagint, meaning 70, and it's, it's the Greek Old Testament. It's the product of Jewish rabbis spending 15 years together working through their language to make sure that to the best that they could, they carried the proper meaning of the words into the Greek so that as Greek spread, people could understand the Old Testament. Now, I say that to say that the word Nephilim from the Septuagint in the Greek, it's gigantes. Now, you can see by default how we come up with gigantic, can't you? I mean, it just kind of comes out of there, gigantic. But it's actually the word for genetics, genealogy, genes. Of all the words that these, these 70 rabbis could have chosen... Of all the words that they chose when they translated it into Greek, they chose gigantes. 
because they wanted us to understand that at the time of Noah, there was a genetic corruption on the earth. There was something that was wrong. By the way, the word gigantes is where you get the word titan. It's where the concept of demigods come from. Any Roman mythology fans here? Maybe the fiction was closer to the truth than we thought. Because this is inferring that there was some sort of spiritual being that cohabitated with the physical being, and gigantes were the result. A corrupted genealogy took place. Uh, Number seven, the word gabor means mighty strong beyond natural strength. So when we read in scripture, and we'll look at it in a second, where it says that these were the heroes of old. They were mighty men. It doesn't mean that we were like, thank you for being uh, Superman and saving the day. The translation is really referring to, they had a strength that was beyond the natural. It, It wasn't just an adrenaline rush. These people were crazy strong, and their genetics were modified. And as a matter of fact, the word Gabor was used in the verse two times in a row in the Hebrew language, which the author would do to emphasize how strong they really were. Now, with that said, here's our think about it, so we'll get into new stuff for today. And how many of you are thinking, wow, I picked the right day to visit this church? Okay, they, they really go into this stuff, all right? Here we go, think about it. Number one, it was a worldwide problem and it needed a worldwide solution. This wasn't just to a local area. As a matter of fact, I shared with you last week, um, there are records of, of genetically altered people and gigantic people from eight different eight, uh, ancient cultures. And by the way, all eight of those cultures also have a, history, a story of a worldwide flood. Every one of them have a story not only of genetically modified people, gigantic people, but they all have a story of a worldwide flood. Eight, I mean, it's, it's just incredible stuff. Number two, it was a satanic problem, and it needed a God-sized solution. How many you know that God handles Satan's problems really well? And God in you can handle them really well as well. Number three, it is evidence to us that just because Satan knows the boundaries, it doesn't mean that he'll follow them. We have to enforce the boundaries. How many parents have had to learn how to enforce boundaries? Okay, I mean, we, we have to enforce them. Um, I had somebody say to me not too long ago, Pastor Brad, we need child safety covers on our outlets in our sanctuary. We have so many children. And I said, I appreciate that you're sensitive to kids, but actually we need parents to say no. Okay, we need parents that we've got the child safety covers in all the kids' rooms, but I think in the sanctuary, we ought to be able to handle it. And if we can't handle it and the kids get shocked, it's really not the church's fault. We can't walk through the entire world and expect every outlet to have a safety cover. I'm using a marvelous illustration and getting to vent at the same time. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it makes my venting seem really spiritual is what it does. But I, 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 I mean, we just, you can't. You can't put a safety plug over life. We have to learn to enforce some boundaries. Maybe we slap a hand a few times because that little sting in the hand is so much lighter than the sting that could come from there. And we learn to, you know what I'm saying? Satan will push the mark every time. He's never satisfied. My wife quotes this at this church almost every time she's on the platform. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. He's never satisfied. We've got to enforce the boundaries. Number four, it's evidence that Satan's ability, I love this, 
can never, uh, can never exceed God's ability. So his ability to destroy can never exceed God's ability to fulfill a promise. Never, never exceed it. God is faithful to his promises. You can't even stop the promises of God, right? How many know you can't stop them? Because God gave them and they are rolling. So here we go. Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to be in Genesis the rest of the time if you want to take your phones there or your iPads there. Or if you have, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. They're actually, they come with like a cover and you open them up and there's pages of, yes, or a couple of you have those. And uh, we'll show those in our archive area later. Genesis 6, 4, it says there were fallen ones. There were deserters on the earth, uh, cast down ones on the earth in those days. And what days? Well, the days before the flood. That's why he says, and also afterward. Don't you hate that they were here also afterward? But doesn't it intrigue you to find out about that? So they were here before the flood, and they're also here after the flood. And it says, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men. Now, for those of you who haven't been here, here's a real quick Hebrew lesson. Son in the Hebrew is ben, of is ha, and God in this translation, or from this usage, is Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is one of the names for God. It's typically the plural word for God, kind of showing that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? So God working together with God to do what he's doing. Um, Every time this is translated in the Old Testament, guess what word they use? Angels. Because it really represents a direct creation of God. How many of the angels uh, weren't procreated by other angels, but they were created by God? Okay, so every time in the Old Testament this is used, it says angels, except here. And maybe we don't say it here because we don't like what it says, but I like what it says because it teaches me something. So I'm going to read it that way. There were fallen ones, cast down ones on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when angels went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old. They were the men of renown. This would be that word hero of old. That would be the word Gabor that I told you about earlier. These were the people that did crazy things and their feats of strength were remarkable. As a matter of fact, you can even read, and I can provide this for you. I don't have it with me right now. You can even read in some of our travelers as they traveled from east to west that when they were coming through and they met the Pawnee Indians in Illinois, that the Pawnee Indians told them of people that had been there that were so large that they could chase down a buffalo and rip its hindquarters off of its body as they were tackling that animal. These were stories that were told as settlers were coming this direction, and I can provide that information for you. It's absolutely remarkable when we hear about some of this stuff. Now, with all that said, where does all this lead? Well, we got to go back to chapter 6, verse 5 first. Let's get there. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So, the Lord saw saw this. He observed how great our wickedness had become. I want you to know that the word that's translated as wickedness here, there are other times in the Old Testament it's translated as calamity. Sometimes it's translated as injury. 
Sometimes it's actually translated as sadness. It's even translated at different times as the word misery. So it could say, the Lord saw how great man's misery was. It could say, the Lord saw how great man's injury was. Pastor Josh and Blake and I, on Thursday this week, we were up um, stripping some old barn wood out of, out of an old barn that's been up for generations. And we're standing on boards that are broken and they're falling apart. And we're trying to strip some, uh, some pieces down. And one of them breaks out from underneath me and I fell. And I land on my side. And, I, and thankfully, the, the boards were, were breaking apart enough that it pretty well broke underneath me as I landed. And I felt all the nails up against me. And as I'm laying there for just a second, Pastor Josh says, Pastor Brad, are you okay? And I said, I don't know yet. Because I could feel all those nails, but I didn't know if they had went in or not. I was in that moment, so I put my hands down, and I pushed up, and the board wasn't stuck to me. I thought that was a good sign. I, I said, I think I'm going to be okay. None of them are, they hurt, but they're not sticking in me, okay? Injury can happen anytime, anywhere. You never will know what it's going to take place. It's one of the words that was used here. The earth was injured. Humanity was in calamity. Now, I see the context as well when we, we use the word wickedness, and it's completely appropriate because it goes on to say that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. How many of you would agree with me, not trying to be a negative Nelly here, but how many of you would, and if your name's Nelly, I'm not cursing you. Um, you're marvelous, and I call out your greatness. But anyway, not trying to be a negative person. But how many of you, you'll be honest enough to admit, you look around the world sometimes and you think it's pretty well messed up? Anybody else that feels that way? Okay, thank you. I see that pinky. Thank you. Um, but would you agree with me that as messed up as it is, it's not always negative all the time? And in the Hebrew language, this is really specific that every inclination of the thought was always evil all the time. It was perpetual evil. There wasn't goodness taking place at all. That's different than now. And I, have, I have people say, well, it's getting worse and worse. It's like the days of Noah. I, listen, I, I understand there are more people. There are more people to sin. There are more people to do mad th bad things. But I know some people that really make horrible decisions that even have an evilness in their heart, but they still do some good things. They're, they still do some nice things and some kind. Might be for only one person, but they still do it right? And, and so not every inclination of the, of the heart is always evil all the time, but that was different then, because then it was. Look in verse 6. It says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man. Notice, ladies, it doesn't say that he was grieved that he had made woman. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's completely out of context, but why not have some fun with it for a moment? The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Um, in the King James, it says the Lord repented that he made man. Now, we know repent means to go the other direction. It, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want us around. He created us in his image. But he, it was time for this thing to turn. His heart was filled with pain. I looked at this up in the original Hebrew just to, to make sure you know this, this phrase, heart filled with pain, was also translated sometimes as torture. His heart was tortured. 
um, he was grieving. It, how many of you have ever had the wind knocked out of you? I'm not talking about a bad situation. I'm talking about like physically, you've had the wind knocked out of you. You know what I'm talking about. Um, I remember the first time it happened. It happened to me a couple of times. First time it happened was in fifth grade. Back when I went to school, we could still play tackle football. Can I get an amen? During recess, right? So we're out there tackling. We had merry-go-rounds, and we, had, we actually had monkey bars that we could push each other off of. And, and when they would fall and break, you would say, hey, deal with it and move on, right? And we played jarts. How many of you remember jarts, right? The long darts, and they weren't plastic. They were metal. And the direction said, put a loop on the ground and stand next to it while your buddy hurls a javelin at you from across the yard, right? And when it sticks in your shoulder, he didn't score. <laughs> but you showed that you could handle it because we grew up in a tougher day. Can I get an amen in the house? Okay, I don't know what that has to do with anything that I'm talking about, but it was kind of fun for just a second. Wind knocked out of you. Fifth grade, got tackled. I'd never had it happen before. I'm running, not the tackling. I've been tackled before, but not the wind knocked out of me. I remember I got hit, feet went up, landed on my back. I remember hearing all the air come out of me. I felt that it would cause the Category 2 hurricane when it came out. Have you been through, you know what it sounds like? It's like, but it's like in an instant it's all gone and if you've never had this happen just be thankful because for the three seconds before you can breathe it feels like three hours because it all comes out and you're like and it's I mean it, it would be great to have it on video let's just be honest we have that culture that we enjoy laughing at people when they get the wind knocked out we go and I, I now, I remember the, 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 what do they call those people that come out and watch children during recess that aren't really teachers? Or the torturers, that's right. So I remember <laughs> the torturer was there with me, and she's like, it'll be back in a second. It'll be back in a second. <laughs> it'll be back. <sighs> and about the fourth breath, man, it hurts. When it comes back, it hurts. Like, what does that have to do with this? This, this phrase... It infers that God had the wind knocked out of him. Now, that's, that's hard. I think of God omnipresent, immutable, strong, almighty, omnipotent. But the Lord's wanting us to capture, do you know how much he loves you? I mean, he loves you so much that, that when mankind got taken advantage of, it's almost like it knocked the wind out of him. Now, we all know it didn't. But the pain of knowing what mankind was going through was breaking his heart for his people. It's time to bring this thing to an end. The thought's this. It's been said that this decision, the decision to flood the earth, so grieved the heart of the Father that he flooded the earth with his tears. I guess I use that even though, even though that's not scriptural. I use that to let you know that God didn't send a flood on the earth because he hated humankind. God flooded the earth because he repented that man was in this calamity, that man was in this injury, that they were being taken advantage of by fallen, deserted ones, that every inclination of their thought was always evil all the time, and God had to start fresh. And he flooded the planet. Genesis chapter 6 verse 7 says, 
Think about it in that sense. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, I'm grieved that I've made them. I, I, listen, whether your children were naturally born to you or they have been born to you through adoption, there is nothing like your kids. Can I get an amen? And, and I'm not saying they're perfect. And if they take that statement and they think, oh, I'm perfect, I can do no wrong, then they're a heretic and they're not hearing that in context. Okay? But there's, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like whatever happens when you have the privilege of creating something. It's just remarkable. My girls aren't perfect. Their friends know it. Their parents know it. I know it. But I absolutely adore them. They're my girls. They're my kids. I mean, what is it about our kids? It, what is it about that? You've probably seen it. Guy's arrested. He's standing before a trial. They've got evidence of him slaughtering 37 people, you know, eating half of them for lunch, stepping on babies in hospitals and running over old people at an intersection. And he's standing there. He pleads not guilty. And his mom's crying. He was just so tired. <laughs> he's a good boy. I, I, we get this parental blindness thing. Any parents willing to admit it, it'll help set you free. Okay? I'm, if you'll admit it, it'll help set you free. In the context, I, it's interesting that God says, whom I have created, because this connects with me at a parental level. And it might connect with other parents too. God's like, I'm wiping this out that I've created. <laughs> God invested his heart into his creation. He invested his image into his creation. How many know that God's word says that we're made in his own image? How many know that God's word says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made? I mean, he, he's invested everything, and yet he had to make this decision to make things right. Now, why? Well, let's drop down to verses 11 and 12 for a second, and then we'll come back up just to keep some context going. It said, the earth was corrupt, and God's sight was full of violence. God saw how, there it is again, corrupt the earth had become, for all people on the earth had corrupted their ways. This word is used three times, and in the Hebrew, it's the word shakath. Shakath. And the reason I mention that is there are some times that when the word shakath is used in Scripture, it literally means destroyed. Sometimes it's translated as ruined. There are times it's translated, as, you ready for this, as spoiled. Anybody have their power get knocked out this week in the storms? We did. I can't remember what night because they all flow together at some point. And one night the power gets knocked out. It was around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And the first thing I thought about, I didn't think about my freezer because that's what I call it. I thought about my deep freeze because that's what grandpa called it. Anybody else had grandparents called it a deep freeze? Right? Yeah, I mean, things weren't just frozen. They were deeply frozen. Okay? I mean... What, what is that? That's my deep freeze. That's when I really need to freeze something really well, right? So I thought about the deep freeze. And I thought, don't open the door to the deep freeze. Because I don't know how long the power is going to be out. And it's going to be okay for about eight to nine hours if we don't open the door. But if, it, if, if we're out of power for any longer than that, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get the generator. And we were on the edge of getting the generator anyway because the coffee machine requires electricity. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, Beth was just beginning to twitch and shake and, and foam at the mouth. And after I cast out the four devils, she still was doing it. 
And I'm like, usually after you deal with the demonic, and she kept saying, espresso. So we were on the edge of pulling the generator out, plugging in the deep freeze, plugging in the refrigerator, not the refrigerator, but the refrigerator, and connecting the coffee machine. Can't you just see Beth out on the driveway with her coffee pouring next to the generator? Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Okay. Why do you do that? Why do you keep the freeze? Why do you keep it frozen? Have you ever, have you ever had the deep freeze not be frozen and you didn't know it? And you open the door? Isn't that smell just, doesn't it remind you of a fifth grade boy? <laughs> After third recess in gym class, right? I mean, it's just, wow, okay? And there is something about that. That word for shakath, when it says God saw how, I'm going to use that word if you don't mind, because they chose corrupt. If they can choose corrupt, I can choose spoiled. The earth was spoiled. And I'm not just talking about our children now and we give them too much. I'm talking about open up the freezer and go, oh, Lord, help me. Take away my sense of smell. Have you ever been there? Okay. The earth was spoiled in God's sight. It was full of violence. It, God saw how spoiled it had become. All the people on the earth were spoiled. Everything was ruined. Have you ever been involved in something that everything was just so ruined that you're like, it'd just be easier to start fresh? That's kind of the moment that we're in. We need to start fresh. So with that said, let's look at the lineage of righteousness. If you don't mind, Amber, go ahead and put as many on there as we can. Thank you. Um, if you've ever read in the scriptures, and how many of you have? Okay. How many of you have ever read the, the genealogies? Are the, and you're like, why are they sharing all this stuff? I really don't care. I don't even know my own great-great-grandmother. Okay? There's a reason this is in here for us. And notice I, I titled this, The Lineage of Righteousness. Um, Adam and Eve had lots of kids. But we learn about Seth. Seth and his wife had lots of kids. But we learn about Enosh. Enosh and his wife had, and, and you see that Adam lived 930 years age. Uh, I don't know, but in some extra biblical writings, it's been said that when he turned to be about 800, 805, he started screaming at neighborhood kids for walking on his lawn. It was just, he got really, I'm kidding, Dave. You look really concerned. I'm just, just bad joke. I'm sorry. Okay. Seth lived in 912, Enosh 905, Kenan 910, Mahalalel. Does that work? Mahalalel. Lived to be 895 years old. So uh, those of you who know your scriptures obviously know he hadn't been obedient to his parents because you need to obey your parents so that you can do what? Live long on the earth. And he didn't even make it to 900. What a little weasel. Amber, <laughs> thanks for keeping me moving. You just click that anytime you want. I'd, I'd hate for the guy up front to be in charge of anything. That's okay. Everything can, is controlled by the video people. That's just the way it is these days. Jared. Lived to be 962 years old. I don't know if you know, but when he was 500, he started a jewelry store. It's doing quite well. Um, how many of you did he go to Jared's? He went to Jared's, all right. Enoch was taken by God when he was 365 years old. Think about that. Think, God just loved hanging out with Enoch so much. He's like, I'm not even going to wait for you to die. Come on home. You've, you've been amazing. You're going to live to be 950 I, I don't want to wait the extra. Come on home with me. Wouldn't it be cool if, if we're just walking with Jesus and he says, hey, come on home. Cancer doesn't take us. 
Wouldn't that be beautiful? Tragedy doesn't take us, but God just, just brings us in. Wouldn't that just be beautiful? Just brings us into his presence. Enoch had Methuselah, longest uh, living person on the planet, until Dan Rowden was born. I don't know how many know that. God bless you, Dan. Dan's 970 just uh, this year and still looking great, still looking great. But he's been sucking off Social Security for a long time, I'll tell you that right now. Yes, ridiculous, 900 years taking it from the rest of us. Okay, Lamech, 777 years of age, give or take. And then Noah, Noah, his name meaning he'll give his people rest or meaning rest. And he was 600 years old when he entered into the ark. Why did God select Noah? And why do we have this lineage that I refer to as the lineage of righteousness? In my opinion, it's because God is clearly letting us know that even with all the spoiling in the world, the corruption, the rotten, everything taking place in the world, there was a line that was protected. And that's really a big deal when you consider that God said from the seed of woman will arise an offspring that will crush the seed of Satan's offspring. So actually this lineage thing that I never understood why it was even in there, except to give me some numbers to memorize in Bible class, it's actually in there so that we know that Noah's line has been kept safe. Now with that said, I want to get into what I, share, I want to share with you guys today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, we're, we are really, we're almost done. We're halfway there. Living on a prayer. Take my hand. We'll make it, I swear. All right, so Genesis 6, 8. I'm, I've had like 27 espressos. You're just going to have to roll with it. <clears throat> Genesis 6, 8, and 9. <laughs> Look at the time. Where did it go? Okay, sorry. Back it up. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. By the way, it didn't say he earned favor. He didn't, favor's not earned, favor's given, okay? And because you're children of God, you're favored of God. You don't have to do anything to earn it, it's just yours, okay? So just walk in it. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. We've talked about everybody else. Let's talk about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now, how many of you grew up in the United States? Probably most of us did here, but not all of us did, okay? Uh, how many grew up in the Midwest? Any Missourians in the house? Show me, all right? Okay. Misery. Misery. John, don't speak that over our state. All right. When I read this, that Noah was a righteous man and blameless, I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Missouri, I think to myself, he must have been really, really good. He was righteous and blameless, right? I, I tend to think of all the people of God, this guy was like the next level person of God. Okay, like, like, just to illustrate it here in the house, all right? We've got Christine. What? Righteous woman of God. Great woman of God. Loves God, but not blameless. You're righteous, but we've got Barbie over here. She's got a few more years of walking with Jesus. Righteous and blameless. You keep working on it, sister. Eventually, we'll be like Barbie. Let's just sing it together. God, make me more like Barbie. Okay, that's not what we're going for. 
This doesn't mean Christine's second class, Bobby's, uh, Barbie's first class. That's not what this is at all. As a matter of fact, they're actually describing two completely different things. This is the last thing I'm going to share with you today, and then we'll, we'll pause for next week. The word righteous in the Hebrew, you ready for this? It's the word, you know how to pronounce that bad boy? Leave the T off of there. It's silent. Sadiq. Sadiq. Sadiq is a word, it's a spiritual word for how many have been made righteous because of what God's done for you? Okay, the just shall live by faith. Because we believe in him, we, oh, as a matter of fact, guess what the word Sadiq means? Righteous, just, correct, and lawful. God did all of that. Because guess what? Brad Riley was a lawbreaker. Brad Riley was incorrect. Brad Riley was not just. And Brad Riley was not righteous. But God did a work for me through the cross. Jesus did a work in my life, and he calls me righteous. He calls me just. He's made me correct, and he's made me a follower of his word. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Okay? So when we talk about Noah being a man of righteousness, we're talking about... I didn't mean to lift up my leg. I got excited. Man of righteousness... When you say righteousness, it causes your left leg to spring forth for some reason, and I'm I'm not sure why, but he's a man of righteousness, I'm keeping him planted. We're talking about his condition with God, but when we're talking about him being blameless, we tend to do, yeah, because Jesus has taken our blame. It's a different word. Let's put it up there for him, Amber, if you don't mind. Go ahead and show all the definitions. The Hebrew word is pronounced tamim. Tamim. Throughout your Bible, it gets translated these eight ways. In Genesis, it was translated as blameless, which we see here. But there's other times it's translated as without taint or flawless or complete. He worked on that house and they did not move in until everything was tamim. Everything was complete. So that, that's... Sometimes it's used that way. But listen, most of the time it's used as blameless. Just, just so you know for the fun of it, Tamim is used 85 times in the Old Testament. Over 50 of them, you ready for this? Referring to the sacrifice that we were required to bring to God. When you brought a lamb, it was to be a lamb that was blameless, perfect. Now, was that lamb spiritually perfect? Had the lamb had a conversion? I used to be so bad until Jesus got... That was new stuff. That was new right now. New material. Thank you. Thank you. Every once in a while, something new, actually. And I realize it's horrible, but it's still kind of funny. Okay? He's, he, the lamb's cleaned up his bleeding. He doesn't bleat in vain anymore. Right? He's not a cussing lamb. He has had a trans, he's had a transformation, okay? Is that, is that what we're talking about with blamelessness? No, it's a physical word because they would bring the lamb to the priest and he would inspect it. And he would say, sorry, this one's got a mark, can't use it. Sorry, this one's got brown hair, can't use it. Sorry, this one's, he's got a lazy eye. That eye's every, we can't use that thing with a lazy eye. Bring that thing back in, focus for just a little while. We can't use the lazy eye lamb, right? I'm being sincere, I am. The lamb had to be perfect to be a sacrifice. 
if Noah's line isn't perfect, we're not saved. He was righteous, walking uprightly with God, but he was complete, whole, sound, blameless, healthy, perfect, flawless, without taint. His genetics had been kept safe. It had been protected for all of us. So here's the thought, and then we'll bless you guys and let you get home. The thought is this. Noah's family line had been kept pure. Noah was not tainted by the corruption that was in the world. Therefore, God could use Noah to bring about the redemption he had promised to mankind. So can we get all of those prophetic thoughts about Noah up here at the same time? Take a picture of that. And if you'll do that, if you'll take a picture of it or jot it down, I won't preach them all, and it'll save you at least eight minutes. But I don't mind reading them to you. And there's about 10 prophetic things about Noah's life, and I only just jotted down three for today. But Noah was a man without blemish through whom God could bring redemption. Jump down to the fourth line. Jesus was a man without blemish through whom our redemptive cost was paid. How many know that Jesus never sinned? But how many also know that Jesus' lineage was kept blemish-free so that he could be our sacrifice? Righteous and blameless. Sadiq and Tamim. Spiritually and physically, Jesus is everything that we need him to be. Two, Noah was faithful to obey God and to complete the work that God gave him. Jesus was faithful to obey God and to complete the work that God gave to him. As a matter of fact, he said to his disciples, I've completed the work that my father called me to do. So, go get busy. It's your time to do it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, set people free, freely you've received, freely give. Third, Noah provided one door into the ark for salvation. Jesus is the one door through whom we have salvation. Um, I'm strong on that. There might be other religions doing other things and nice things and even good things. But we are only safe through Jesus because only Jesus' lineage was kept tamim. Only Jesus was sadiq. Perfect in righteousness before his father and perfect in physical before his father because he is the seed from woman to crush the head of the serpent. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you.